Amen. If you would grab your Bibles and turn to the book of James. We're going to be in a lot of places tonight. And I am... James chapter 4 and I... I know all of you can't see this. If I do this... How are we going to do here? Are we good? Are you terrible over there? You guys okay now? A little bit? I'm hoping you can see this because I'm going to use this as best I can uh, tonight. James chapter 4 is where we're going to start. And we are certainly not going to stay there. I'm going to do some preaching, then I'm going to do some teaching, and then I'm going to preach some more, all right? Uh, but we're going to do a pretty good mix tonight and uh, maybe a little bit more toward the teaching side. Uh, this is going to be the start of, of a couple of messages that I want to, uh, I've been working on for a while, I've been thinking on for even longer, uh, and James chapter 4 and verse number 1, we'll start there. Uh, we're going to read a lot of scripture tonight. I know I don't normally read long passages over and over and over throughout a message, but uh, we're going to hit some pretty big ones tonight, and that's uh, part of studying the Word of God tonight, so... Um, Bear with me a little bit. We're going to read the first 12 verses here of James chapter 4. For whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence even of your lusts that war in your members? Ye lust and have not, ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture saith in vain, The spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Uh, now ultimately... The entirety of this passage, uh, overall, the overarching thought process throughout the entire chapter, really, I didn't finish the chapters, is, is pride. It's arrogancy. It's pride. Uh, the Bible is very clear on God's stand of pride. Uh, I mean, you hit Proverbs and six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. Number one on the list is a proud look. Uh, you get to Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 10. Uh, the statement is, only by pride cometh contention. Often, right, he starts the chapter off, from whence come wars and fightings among you. <laughs> Why is there contention between people? Well, it's very simple. There's only, when the Bible says only, it means only. There's just one way. Uh, Jesus Christ, he is the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, he is the Savior, and by, beside Him there is no other. When there's only one option, that's the only option the Bible gives. That's the only option that you get to take. Well, why is there contention? There's contention because of pride. 
There's contention because somebody is proud. You know what amazes me is that we have more contention in the world right now, it feels like, at least in America, than we do at any other time I've ever lived. Uh, it's a constant of fighting and infighting. Brother Tyler had no idea I was working on this. We were talking Friday night, and Brother James was with us, and we got talking about America and the pride of America. I am proud to be an American. That's the statement we make. I'm proud of my kids. I'm proud of this, and I'm proud of that. When the reality is, do you ever see God saying he's proud of anybody? No, but he does take pleasure. Brother Tyler and I talked a little bit, Brother James, and we say, what's the Lord doing? We think so much of this idea of pride, and God thinks nothing of it. We think pride can be good when the reality is in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing and pride is coming out of your flesh. You war and you lust, where is it? It's in your members. It's part of what you are. It's who you are because you want something. You lust and you have not. You desire to have it. And that whole passage there, you know what he's doing? He's going, hey, your flesh wants some things and it's proud because it thinks it deserves it. That's where we are now in our country. You realize that the sin of Sodom was not just the idea of sodomy. That's not where it started. It ends the list with, they were lifted up in pride. Idleness, fullness of bread, pride. Sound like any Americans you know? Idle, full of bread, proud, and then what do you get? Well, you get a rainbow flag because God can't judge me. And here they are. And you look around and you know what the problem is? The problem is not them. It's not them at all. The problem's us. The problem's you. Do you realize that uh, the problem is ultimately going to be you? You're the problem. I'm the problem. Say, why? I expect them to be proud. But the problem in your life is God resisteth the proud and you're proud. Well, I, I don't know about that. Do you got any contention in your life? Let's think about it. You in the lost world, are you at contention? Well, sometimes it's because, like Brother Tyler was preaching this morning, that you stood up and you were a stink in their nose and the Lord got a sweet-smelling savor. But sometimes you're at contention with the world just because you don't like your boss or because you don't like what what they are doing and, and now you know you just kind of going with the now you're going to be a contention because you just don't like something and it has nothing to do with you I'm not talking about their wickedness I mean you just don't like that somebody else has something that you don't have and you get contentious about how come they got a brand new boat how come they got a better house how come they got a better car how come and you, you lust and have not well don't I deserve all that I mean, Lord, don't you know what I'm doing for you? Like you're somebody special. And we look around and we go, how come everybody else gets and I'm not getting? And we get contentious with the world. We get contentious with the boss. We get contentious with other church members. Well, how come they got and I didn't get? Or how come they said that to me? How come they didn't shake my hand? How come they didn't say hello? How come they walked past me so quick? How come? Maybe because they were busy. 
You ever think something went wrong and they had to go get it? They had to go deal with something. They knew something was happening. They had to hurry up and get out of the building. They didn't have, well, well, yeah, but they didn't stop and talk to, okay. You realize pride is all about self. It's all about self. You got contention with your friends? How quickly that happens. You got contention with your family? You got contention with your spouse? You got contention with your kids? You got contention with your parents? What's the problem? Pride. Pride's the problem. You say, well, who's proud? Probably both of you, to be honest. Because it's pretty hard to find somebody that doesn't have it. But you know the ultimate problem is? That oftentimes we get in contention with God. Now here's the big kicker right here. Has God ever been proud? <laughs> nope. So then you know who's the one that's proud? I am. If me and the Lord are in contention, you know what the problem is? It's not him. He never is the problem. You can try and blame the spouse, and you can try and blame your kids, and you can try and blame everybody else, but guess what? When you get up against God, he's not going to be blamed because he's always right. True and righteous are his judgments every single time. And we struggle with this idea of pride. And the sin of pride, I believe, stems and causes virtually every sin that you and I deal with. You look over, you look over that list in, uh, of the Ten Commandments and you look down that list. I mean, just starting with the top one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, then you're proud. Why? Because you won't listen. You won't submit to the God of the universe. That's the problem. And the problem with us is we have sin, and ultimately our sin stems from our pride. And rooting that out makes it possible for you and I to have grace from God. Now think just for a moment, I'm going I'm to do a real simple example of this. The day that you got saved... The day you called upon Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and to give you eternal life and forgive you, you know what you had to do? You had to get humble. You had to go, I can't fix this. I'm a sinner. That's hard. Right? I'm wrong. That's what that is. I've done wrong. I'm a sinner. So if I'm a sinner, then I'm not right with God. Then I have to humble myself and admit I'm wrong. By the way, that'll help some of your marriages, gentlemen. I'm wrong. I'm sorry. Let's fix it. Some of your wives might need to do that too, but a lot of times, gentlemen, we're hard-headed and we're stubborn and we don't want to admit it. And you get in front of God and you know what you're doing? You're humbling yourself and you're going, God, I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't save myself. I can't do it in me that is in my flesh. I got nothing to go ahead and fix this problem. So I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and fix it. That's humility. And you call upon Jesus Christ to save you because he's the Savior and he's the only one that could. That was a day that was humble. You know what you got? You got the grace of the Holy God reaching down and giving you salvation and a home in heaven. 
He gave you His mercy and He gave you His grace and He sanctifies and washes you and makes you clean and makes you fit to go to heaven for all of eternity. And He does that because you decided to humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. But day to day, our struggle is the fact that you and I don't humble ourselves and we don't stay there. And God has to resist. Boy, that's a rough thought. You're trying to do something and you're doing it in your own strength and your ability and everything's going wrong and God's just going, i got to resist you just for a little bit here. I'm going to hold you back. Say, but I thought He wants our greatness. He wants us to be great for Him. He wants all these great things. Yeah, He wants it His way. And the problem is you won't humble yourself and do it His way. And so tonight, I want to preach on that sin of pride. And like I said, I did a little preaching right there. We're going to do some teaching here in just a moment. But let's have a word of prayer. And as I said, I won't be able to finish this in its entirety tonight. Uh, So look forward to another part here in the future next week. All right? Lord, I do thank you for tonight. I thank you for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank you that you saved to the uttermost, Father and Lord, you're just so good to us. And Father, I do pray that you would bless the message tonight. Help me to say and frame everything the way that it ought to be so that Jesus Christ would be praised. I don't want to give glory to another tonight. I pray that Jesus Christ would be high and lifted up. I pray you'd help me to be able to convey what you want me to say in just the right way. And Lord, I do pray you'd get the praise, the honor, and the glory once again. I don't know if anybody's lost here tonight, but Father, if they are, I pray they'd call upon Jesus Christ. They'd humble themselves and admit it. And they'd call upon Jesus Christ to save them. Father, if there are folks that are saved in here tonight, I pray you'd help us with this issue of pride. I think pride is the principal thing that we deal with and we don't even pay attention to it. Father, I do pray you would help us to see it and see it clearly tonight, especially be able to see our adversary tonight as I'm going to focus much of the message on him tonight. So please help in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you would turn back to Job chapter 41. Uh, Job chapter 41. And we'll catch that last verse in Job chapter 41. And then we're going to go, of course, to Ezekiel chapter 28, Isaiah 14, all sorts of places tonight. But uh, first of all, I want you to see this. Uh, We're talking about Leviathan here in chapter 41, and we know, and if you were in my uh, exhaustive Job class, uh, you would also know and have all the notes that show you that this is Lucifer, this is the devil as we know him, Satan, uh, fallen from heaven, this is the picture to him, and you get to that last verse, and he says this, he beholdeth all high things, verse number 34, he beholdeth all high things, he is a king over all the children of of pride. He is a ruler. He's a king. And his rule is over those children of pride. We know in the New Testament you get to different places and you're a child of wrath and a child of disobedience. You're a child, you're of your father the devil and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. All those verses we run to. But you recognize one thing. He is king over all the children of pride. These proud people. This is who he is. That's his position. The source ultimately of pride started in the devil. It is the 
first sin in the universe that has ever been. Look over to Ezekiel chapter 28. Now some of this, many of you know, but some of you have never seen some of this before. And so I'm going to try and help you out a little bit tonight. Uh, the origin of Lucifer and what happens to him. Now, many of you know what I believe about when this occurs. I'm not talking about that. I don't care where you put this in your timeline, all right? What I care about is that you understand what happened with Lucifer and how he fell. What happened? What was, what was the cause of this wonderful being to become the arch enemy, the rival, the only one who's ever come up the way that he has against the almighty God of the universe. And so we want to see that tonight in Ezekiel chapter 28, verse number 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, Thou sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, I'm going to pause right there because some people go, well, isn't that talking to a man, the king of Tyrus? Uh, no. You say, why? Because you read the rest of the description, it can't be. It, it doesn't fit. can't possibly be the man, the king of Tyrus. Say, so, well, then who's he, who's he addressing? Well, it's kind of like this. You get over there with Simon Peter, right? And the Lord says, hey, they're going to go ahead. They're going to take me. They're going to kill me. I'm going to die. And he goes, not so, Lord. And the Lord turns to him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Well, who's he addressing? Well, he's addressing the devil in the man who tried to answer. He's on the wrong side. All right, and so here he is, and the Lord is using this man, and he's bringing this lamentation to a man, but he's really talking about the devil, and you're going to find that out very quickly. He says that he is, he sealest up the sum, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. That's obviously not the king of Tyrus, all right? And then he says, every precious stone was thy covering, the sardius, topaz, and the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, and the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, and the carbuncle, and gold. The workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created, till iniquity was found in thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. All they that know thee among the people shall be astonished at thee. Thou shalt be a terror, and never shalt thou be any more. Man, that's a proclamation right there. And here he is, and uh, this anointed cherub. Now, if you go over to Isaiah 14, we won't quite yet. You go over to Isaiah chapter 14, you find out his name, right? Verse number 12, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Uh, his name is Lucifer. 
Uh, of course, the name means light bearer. Many of you know that. His job was ultimately to bear the light of who God is. Now, as you, as you look it over, you find out as he describes this source of what we're going to have as ultimately the source of sin and pride is going to be this anointed cherub. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Now, this is an interesting thing because anointed means that they have been set aside, they've been set apart, but they've also been ultimately anointed that pouring of a spirit upon them. Jesus Christ was anointed. That's why he's called Christ. Christ is a reference to the anointed one. It's who he is, the Messiah. The anointed cherub, he's got a reference. You say, why does he become the Antichrist? Why is that? Ant because he does have the title. He's been anointed. He had a job to do as the anointed cherub. Now, Ezekiel chapter 1 and Ezekiel chapter 10, you have these creatures that show up. Right at the beginning of both the chapters, you get these creatures that show up, the cherubs show up, the four cherubs in the, in the passage. You can go ahead and look, right? They've got the four faces and they've got the six wings and they don't turn and they carry, ultimately they're carrying the throne of God. They pick it up and they move it and it's going and you got the wheels and the wheels and all the things and all the stuff that go along with it and there's an altar there and there's all these things and they're carrying the, art, the, uh, all, the throne of God all the way out and they're showing it off. You get back over to Revelation chapter 4, right? And you've got the uh, four and twenty elders and they're casting down their crowns and they're you know, praising the lamb and everything and then you get these four beasts, those four cherubs that are on the corners of the throne of God. And they stand there and they cry, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. Right? And they're giving Him praise and they cease not day or night to praise Him. Well, you've got these four cherubs and here's the throne. That big square would be the throne where God's sitting. And you've got that throne and He's sitting upon the throne. And He's got these four cherubs on those outside corners and they're standing there and they're going, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And everybody's shouting and everybody, the angelic hosts are there they're praising him and you've got this fifth cherub he's the anointed cherub that covereth well what's he covering there's only one spot he'd be covering he'd be over the top of the throne geographically God's sitting in a throne Lucifer is over the top of him now you say what's he doing there he's doing a couple of things first of all he is going ahead and he is full of wisdom that's a pretty good thing, isn't it? Wisdom. He's wise. It's strange when the Bible talks about wisdom, he says that we are supposed to be wise as serpents. Huh. Well, he's full of wisdom. But not only is he full of wisdom, he is also perfect in beauty. Now all the time, right, the artists go and they draw this red thing with the horns and pitchfork, you know, and it's the devil. That's not the devil. That's not who he is. He was the most beautiful of God's creation. I mean, you think about him. He is covered with every precious stone was thy covering. God's descriptor is that he was perfect in beauty. That is not the way he described Eve. That's the way he describes Lucifer. 
He was the most beautiful thing God had created. That's amazing. Recognize he is not this horrible-looking, transformed, nasty, vile-looking monster. He was beautiful. The day he was created, he is made out of precious stones. Every precious stone was like he's covered in these nine stones, the sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. He is covered in stones and gold. Now I'm going to reference this later. But you recognize those nine plus the gold plus three more of those stones along with pearls make up a great city that you and I will spend all of eternity in. I'm going to get to that later. Probably not tonight. Unless you don't want to go home. And then we can, do, we can go about three or four hours on this thing. He's covered. You say what? I'm going to make back reference to that. The lamb in that city where you and I will spend all of eternity, the new Jerusalem, the lamb is the light, right? Well, you drop that light inside and you've got all these gems and all the greatness and the gold and the beauty well what's it doing it's shining out and it's magnifying the glory and the brightness of who God is throughout an entire universe Lucifer the light bearer what's his job his job is to magnify and glorify the light that is being put up from the throne he's above the top God's sitting there his light goes up and he goes ahead, and the arrows show it, and he is shooting light every direction out into all of the expanse of the greatness of what God has already created. He is sending out the glory of who God is. His job is to glorify God Almighty sitting upon the throne right below him. His job is to show a world all of the glories of who God is. His job is every bit of creation is supposed to be able to see the light that is coming from that throne and He is supposed to magnify it to the best of His created ability and He is doing a wonderful job of it when He is created. You say, how do you know that? Because thou was perfect in the day that thou was created. He was not a failure day one. Lucifer was not going, hey, I'm going to steal God's glory. It was, I'm doing everything just right. Everything's perfect. He was perfect in beauty. He was full of wisdom. He had everything right. He, he is the sum of the greatness of God's creation. He sums up what God was going for as a pinnacle. And here he is in all of his majesty above the throne doing his job. On top of that, he's got musical instruments and the tabrets and the... He's got this music that can come from him without any work at all. He didn't have to take a class. He just goes ahead and does it. And he goes ahead and leaves. He is part of the literal worship of the holy God of the universe. He is singing and praising. He is going ahead and magnifying the light that God has, and he says he's perfect in thy ways. Perfect. He didn't miss. 
till we have a problem. Say, how long was it? I don't know. Lord doesn't say. But I do know one thing. A test shows up. So what do you mean a test shows up? God always has to test his creation. Every time. You realize there is not one time that God doesn't test his creation to make sure that it's going to function the way that it's supposed to? It's what he does. So what did he do? He just tested Lucifer. How did he do that? Gave him a free will. Same way he tested Adam, free will. A choice. You have a choice. You realize in eternity, the only will that was supposed to be there was the will of God. There was no other options. It was God's way. He created it. He designed it. Everything's supposed to work just the way that God, God designed it. But there's this being. Lucifer says, hey, I'm going to give you a choice. You get a free will right here. You get to choose. And Lucifer, I'll get to it in a minute, but what does he choose? He chooses, well, I'll choose me. That's what he chooses. He chooses me. He goes, I, I can be better than anybody else. Isn't that his thought process? You realize he's going to test Lucifer's mind, heart, and will. What he's going to choose to do. Here it is. Say, so how do you see that in the passage? Look at the passage. He says in verse number 15, Thou was perfect in thy ways from the day that thou was created till iniquity was found. Where is it? In thee. By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Number, verse 17, thine heart was lifted up. There's the start. There it is. Say, so what's the problem? Heart was the problem. The Lord's admonition to us is a constant Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it is, are the issues of life. Son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes attend unto my way. Over and over, it's the heart, the heart, the heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Watch out for that heart. It's going to be in trouble. And you know what the problem was? He looked at himself, and you know what he thought? I love me. I love me. Verse 17, thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Boy, I am beautiful. I am so beautiful. Is he wrong? He's not wrong. He is beautiful. He's not wrong going, yes, I am beautiful. God made me beautiful. You know what he forgot? He forgot God made me beautiful. Instead it was, I'm beautiful. He goes, I am so beautiful how could anybody else be better than me? Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Now he's reasoning something, the mind. He's reasoning out with wisdom. And he's corrupted his wisdom because you know what he did? He forgot that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. 
He loses the wisdom that he knows he's supposed to have and his wisdom becomes faulty because he starts thinking, boy, I am beautiful and I deserve better and I deserve wonder and I deserve... than what God created me to be. And now he's going to get sideways. Now everything, it started ultimately internal. Iniquity is found and it becomes, it's an internal problem. So what's the internal problem? Pride. Pride is internal. Pride is always the internal. It's not the external. You've seen people that act humble. Say, what is that? They're doing it on the outside, but they don't have it on the inside. Anybody can act humble. Anybody can be like, oh, yeah, yeah, brother, I'm just, you know, suffering for Jesus here, you know. I love the Lord. They don't care. They just did that on Sunday, so you'd feel bad for them, and you wouldn't, you know, wouldn't ask any real questions, because then you'd have to care. Right? So they just, you know, let me sneak by so I don't have to tell you all my problems. But the reality is I don't love the Lord and I don't care about him and I'm not really all that humble and I've been doing things my way all week and I'm only here because everybody's going to wonder where I am. But it's all about me. And the Lord's going, okay, that's in the heart. You say, yeah, but doesn't he ultimately external rebel? That's what he does, right? Contention happens. Well, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Bible's got it all squared away. You say, where did it start? Start in the heart. It starts on the inside, and it works its way out. And the devil, he's going ahead, and he's not the devil yet. He's Lucifer. And that light bearer, you know what he does? He starts going, you can read the passage. I'm not going to do all this, because if I do all this, I'm going to be here for you know, forever. But, right, he's looking, and you know what he's doing? He's stealing God's glory. He's taking the merchandise that he's supposed to be selling. He's taking it for himself. So what's his merchandise? The glory of God. He's stealing glory for himself. He's stealing authority for himself. He's trying to take the hearts of the angels, and he's trying to pull it to himself. He's doing all that stuff to get what? To get what he thinks he should get because God made him so great. Look over at Isaiah chapter 14. Isaiah chapter 14, many of you know the spot. That water was opened. I'm not drinking that one. All right. All right, we're good. That one snapped. I was going to say, I've been to India. I know better than to drink a bottle that's not sealed. Amen. Uh, Isaiah chapter 14, verse number 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? Look at this. For thou hast said in thine heart, the internal. So what was that internal struggle he had? He was saying this to himself. I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. And of course you have the condemnation that's about to face. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. You can keep reading if you wanted to. I'll stop there for sake of time. Uh, he's got these five. We know the five I wills. 
Amazingly enough, he's the fifth cherub. He's got five I wills here. Five is not the number of grace, it's the number of death in your Bible. You can ask Pastor Lego later um, all about that. He's got all the references. It'll be wonderful. Um, here he is. He's got these five I wills. Notice what he wants. Here's his, in his heart, the rebellious actions he is going to try to take. All right, it's in the heart, but he's about to put it outward. He's about to externalize, and he's going to rebel against the God of the universe. And he makes these five statements. Number one, he says, I will ascend into heaven. They say, well, he's already in heaven, isn't he? Well, that's not what he means. I mean, geographically, yeah, he's right there. He's above the throne. Say, what's he trying to do? He's trying to expel God from heaven and make it his. He wants to overthrow the king of the universe. He's looking to go, hey, I'm going to get into heaven. I'm going to get up here, and I'm going to go ahead and take it as mine. It's followed by all these pieces. He says, uh, next, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Uh, Job chapter 38, you can go ahead if you want to look at that. Verses 6 and 7, I'll give it to you. Uh, And that's the stars as the angels of God. The stars are the angels. You say, who does he want to go above? He wants to go ahead and gain the authority over the top of all the angelic host of God. He wants to dethrone and expel God from heaven, and that way he can have the authority to go ahead and talk to those angels and tell them what he wants them to do instead of what God wants them to do. You realize as he's sitting above that throne and he's giving God glory and he's giving out all the things that he's supposed to give, one of his jobs most likely was to go ahead and organize portions of the angels and tell them how God wants them to praise him. He's over the host. He's got people. He's got things. He's got a job to do. And he's going out, you know what he's doing? He's going, okay, this is what God needs. But you know what he started doing? He started twisting the commands just a little bit to start serving his needs a little bit more. These trafficking that merchandise. Just a little turn. Just a little turn. To get what? To get some authority over the top of those angels. He wants to be, as Brother Tyler said this morning, he wants to be the boss. And so he's going, to be, he's going to try and move some pieces. So he wants the authority over the angels. Not only that, he says, I will ascend, uh, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. You know what he wants? He wants control over the whole congregation. Not even just the ones that he'd already had some influence on. He wants everybody. He wants all of the creation and he wants to govern over the creation. He wants every bit of it to be his so that he can rule and reign as the supreme being and his orders are good to go. And nobody could contend. That's what he's thinking. Who's going to stop me? I'm going to ascend. I'm going to get up there. I'm going to get up on top of that mount. I'm going to have all, I'm going to be the pinnacle. I'm going to be the top. I'm going to be there. And I'm going to climb and I'm going to go north. Promotion cometh not from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south, but God. Up to the north he goes. And he's going to go and he's going to try and take everything. And he's looking and he's looking and he's looking. And he's looking for the opportunity. You know what he's saying? He's doing all this in his heart. You know what he's thinking? How can I get this? How can I get what I want? How can I figure, I'm going to do this. How do I get it? Sounds a little bit like Balaam and a house full of gold. How can I get what I want? I'll ascend. I'm going to do it. He says, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. 
This one is the most amazing in my brain. He wants to get above the glory of the God of the universe. He wants his glory to be magnified above God's glory. Say, where do you get that? All over the place in the Bible. Exodus, the children of Israel are coming out of the promised land, or coming out of Egypt, going to the promised land. Say, what's leading them? A pillar of cloud by day. Say, what was that? That was the presence of God. There he is. He's right in front of them. He's blocking the, the Egyptians from going ahead and catching them. By what? By being a cloud. He covers them in the cloud as they go across the Red Sea. He walked over and over again. He's the cloud all through Exodus as they're going into the land. And he's going ahead and leading them. And he's going ahead and guiding them. You get over to uh, 1 Kings chapter 8 and Solomon's building the temple, right? And you get, or, uh, yeah, I think that's right. Um, and, and they got everything all squared. And the glory of God comes down in a cloud and fills the place. Pushes the priests out, pushes everybody out. God's glory shows up, fills the place. He's a cloud. Matthew chapter 24, he's coming back, right? Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him. Coming down in the You say, what's he doing? He's coming down in his glory. That's second advent. That's him coming down and going to take Israel back and sit upon the throne of his father David, come down and rule reign for a thousand years and go ahead and stamp his enemies under his feet. He's coming down in pure glory. You say, what does the devil want? He wants all the glory that should be God's. I'm going to take it. And then he ends it with, I will be like the most high. I'm going to be replacing God. I'm going to take him and I'm going to be the one who's the most high. Feel free, you can look up most high. I think it's 48 times in the Bible. You look that over, some of the descriptors. Abraham's the first time it's used when he goes to Melchizedek. He offers up tithes to the most high God. It's an interesting title. Isn't it strange that the devil didn't want to go ahead and take the title of Savior or Redeemer. But he did want to take the title the Most High. It's funny the things that people don't really want. And you can tell a whole lot about somebody by what they do want. That they can't seem to have. You start looking over what the devil wants in that list and you find out that it is all things he does not deserve. He is unworthy to obtain any of them. Not because he wasn't these things. It's because he wasn't God sitting upon a throne. Now here's the deal. The deal is he's the start. He is the king over all the children of pride. His contention is with the almighty God of the universe. His contention is with his creator. His contention is with the one who designed him and made him. And he is in contention with the one who he is supposed to be glorifying. He is supposed to be praising. He is supposed to be helping others do the same. You say, what's the problem? Pride becomes the problem. 
and the situation, the source is right here. It's Lucifer. But the real situation is this, that you and I are full of pride. Go back to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to get ready to wrap it up here in just a few minutes, I think. I don't want to get too far. The situation starts all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. Lucifer has fallen from the glories of heaven. He's been cast out. And here he is. This is the first time we get to see his interaction with mankind. Is in Genesis chapter 3, right? This is our first glimpse at it. You say, is it the first time he came? I have no idea. No idea. You don't know if this is the first time he's talked to Eve. You don't know if he's ever talked to Adam. You don't know if he's ever talked to anybody else. You have no idea. Nobody else is there, but you know. Uh, you have no idea how many times he's shown up. No clue. But we do know about this one. And he starts it off, and you all know the passage. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, right? And you know what happens. Okay, we've looked over this passage about a million times, right? We all see this passage. You say, what does the devil get to do right here? The devil does the exact same thing to her that he did to himself. So what do you mean by that? For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, ye shall be as gods. I will be like the most high. Say, what's Eve's problem right here? Pride. She didn't know what God said, and she didn't get everything right, and she didn't, but you know what the problem is? She saw what she wanted, even though she knew she wasn't supposed to have it. You know what she got into? She got into contention with the God that sits upon that throne, the most high. You know what your sin is? Your sin is pride, and it's against the Most High. Every time we sin, you know what we do? We say, God, you're wrong, and I'm right, and I'm going to do it my way. Every sin is attached with pride, because you know what is right. To him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. We know what is right. You say, well, I don't say that. You don't say that in purpose, but you do say that in your heart. Because your heart goes, I'm going to do what I want. And your heart, you go, I want what I want. Your mind goes, okay, what can I do to figure out how I can get this? I'm going to take my wisdom and I'm going to twist things around and I'm going to try to make it seem like I am great and I am fine and I'm going to justify whatever it is I'm about to do because, bless God, i got this great verse over here that I can twist around and make it seem like I'm great and righteous. And the truth is the devil does the same thing and looks at you and says, oh, you shall not surely die. And instead you go ahead and take the fruit and you eat it because you go, I'm going to be like God and I'm going to go ahead and tell people what to do and I'm going to have authority and I'm going to have this and I'm going to have that and I'm going to be great and I'm going to be just so wonderful and it's all pride and God goes I got to resist you now now I got to resist you he goes I don't want to resist you but I've got to 
Because his constant is, he resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. They replace, Eve replaces God's will with her own. Adam looks at her, she hands him that fruit, and you know what he says? Well, I want what I want. And I want her instead of God. Pride. Pride. And he takes the fruit. And he eats it. And you say, what has the devil done? The devil has made it so simple for us to be proud. And we thrive on it. Boy, I hope somebody notices that I'm doing this. I mean, because I'm doing a real good job. We were talking last night. Right? <laughs> right, Kevin? <laughs> we were talking last night, and uh, dumb things we've all done, you know. And, and, you know, you fall down, you do this, you do that, and you're like, boy, I hope nobody saw that. Why? Because you don't want to feel abased, humbled. It's humbling when you're foolish. It's humbling when a group of people sees you and you didn't realize they were going to see it. You know, it's funny. You know, I'll be, I'll be either working here or I'll be, sometimes I was over next door. It's ha- it happened a lot when I would be next door. Someone would walk in. Uh, but I'd be singing, you know, singing super loud because I don't know how to sing quiet, right? And so I'm singing and, I'm walking, and somebody comes in and you're like, oh, ah. <laughs> uh, that's not even supposed to be all that embarrassing. But you're still feeling like, oh, did they, uh, I mean, I know I was singing hymns, but uh, I was singing and I didn't know anybody heard me. And you still feel just that little bit of, and it wasn't even anything bad. But when someone takes notice, you, you kind of, you say, what is it? Just pride. Just pride. Well, I mean, I wasn't singing my best. I mean, I was just kind of, I was singing for the Lord. So then why are you ashamed? We get ashamed over certain things because it's our pride. Our pride wells up. But well, I don't want anybody to think, what, that you were doing the right thing? Well, I don't want to be embarrassed. Well, I don't want... The sad reality is most Christians are less ashamed of their sin than they are about their Savior. They're more ashamed about, you know, well, I'm going to stand up on a street corner or I'm going to go door knocking or I'm going to hand a cashier a track and I'm scared to death. So what's that all about? That's, your, that's just your pride. That's my pride. So how do you know that? Because that tiny little girl should not intimidate me that is cashing me out, all right? That just shouldn't ha- Why is that scary? Well, because it's just your pride. Over and over again, you know what I find? that I am far too proud. The choice of doing God's will and his commands and all those things, his answer is those things aren't grievous. They aren't supposed to burden you. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. But we make it into something else because we go, well, I don't want people to think of me that way. And what you're ultimately doing is you're saying, I'm too proud, and now I'm going to contend with God, and I'm going to be proud. And I'm going to hold out for what I want instead of what he wants. 
Now, I hate leaving people in a terrible mess because that's where we are right here in this message. And so I'm going to give you a piece of the solution, but I have more pieces in between, all right? So I, 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 won't, uh, I won't be able to finish this, and I don't want to go any longer. Go back to uh, James. James, chapter 4, right where we started. And I won't be able to give you all of the all of the pieces here. The situation I'm going to kind of finish up next time as well. Then I'm going to talk about the sentence. The cost of being proud. Satan had a great cost. An absolute great cost. And sin in our lives is no different. The cost of sin is always great. And there's consequences that go along with your sin. But not only that, there is a solution. And we know the solution. And I hate to give just the solution without giving you a whole lot of stuff on how to have that solution. So I'm going to slide a couple little pieces in and then we'll finish it up next time. But he says here in uh, James chapter 4, we already read it. He says in verse number 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Say, so, well, how do I get humble? Submit yourselves therefore to God. That's a good start. You say, what's humility? Recognizing God is greater than you are in submitting. That's a good start. It's not all of it, but it's a good start. Next thing, resist the devil. Interestingly enough, he slides that in. You say, why? Because the devil wants you to be proud like he is. He wants you back under his control. Because he's king over all the children of pride. He wants to be your king instead of God. So that way he can steal God's glory out of your life. He can steal God's authority like he wants to for the age. He's going to take that out of your life. He's going to, what is he trying to do? He's trying to take that all from you so that he can have it. And that you're giving him all those things because you've decided to go against God. He says, no, no, go ahead and. Uh, go ahead and submit yourselves therefore to God resist the devil and he will flee from you how about this verse 8 draw nigh to God you know why they, they were singing a little bit ago you know why you won't run to the sanctuary because you're proud you know why you wander so far away because you're proud you won't turn around and go back the prodigal son is so proud that he has to waste everything and be eaten down in the hog pen and going ahead and thinking he's going to eat the husks that the pigs are getting fed on and finally he goes oh hey maybe just maybe I could go get bread to eat at my father's house that kid was not very wise he wasted the wisdom he should have had full of wisdom he wasted the greatness that he was Go ahead and waste it in a world. That's what we do. We hold on to our pride and we hold on to it so long we won't fix it. We won't draw nigh to him. We won't come back to the sanctuary. We won't come back to the place he can bless us. We won't come back because we choose not to because we're so proud. God forbid we would humble ourselves and get down on our face before the God of the universe who goes ahead and can save to the uttermost and can forgive and can restore and can fix and can take care of all the needs that we've ever had. But don't worry, I'm sure we've got it all under control by ourselves without Him. 
Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. He says in verse number 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Say, how long do I got to stay down for that? Till he lifts. Say, how long does that take? As long as it takes. As long as it takes. And sometimes it takes a while because our pride tries to get us to keep getting back up. You ever notice that some days you actually got it, got it going pretty well and you're like, yeah, Lord, I'm, and you're submitted and you're submitted and you're feeling like you're doing everything the way he wants. And then all of a sudden you start to stand back up like you are got it all under control now. And the Lord says, no, 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 I need you to stay down a little longer. I've got something that's going to lift you up here in just a moment. But if we don't wait on the Lord, you know what we'll be? We'll be stuck being resisted again. Because he can't. He keeps resisting the proud and giving grace to the humble. You say, well, you know, I think so-and-so, they're super, they're super humble and spiritual. And that person over there, they're really proud and arrogant and they're terrible. You know, the Bible just said there in verse number 11 and 12 not to judge about it. I love this example. I've used it. You all have heard it practically. Uh, it's one of my favorite examples of true humility. And the true humility is Moses. He is the meekest man in all the earth. And we know it because Moses wrote it down. I am super humble. <laughs> well, that sounds like an arrogant statement, doesn't it? except for the fact that God told him to write it. And you know what he's probably thinking? If I write that, everybody's going to think I'm a proud, arrogant jerk. <laughs> Moses is the meekest man and all that. Come on, Lord. And the Lord says, you got to write it because I told you. And if he's proud, you know what he does? He doesn't write it. But because he's the meekest man in all the earth, you know what he says? I'm humble. I'm meek. I'm lowly. I'm down. Sometimes you think people are proud when the reality is all they're doing is what God told them to do. And you don't know. You have no idea. They look so arrogant and they look like they've got it all together and they think they're so amazing and all they did was, I just did what God told me to do. I don't really know. That's Moses. Humility is not judged by what you can tell and what you can see. Because pride is an issue of the heart. And humility is found in the heart, not on the outside. Never is it found just in the greatness of what they do on the outside. It is found always on the internal. It's the question of will you do what God said. I'll expound on that more next week. Let's go ahead and stand tonight. I don't even know what to do for an invitation, really. I do know one thing. The thought that God would resist me is a scary thought. That God would stick his hand out and hold me back from being close to him because he goes, I can't. I got to hold you back 
Why? Because you won't humble yourself in front of me. The thought that I would ever be compared to Lucifer as one who would contend against the God of the universe that my pride would be so great that I would not get down and put my face on the ground and say, I'm sorry. I don't want to contend with you. I'd rather do it your way. To resign my will to the will of the Father. I do always do those things that please the Father. How's Christ's plea? Could you imagine if we would learn obedience by the things that we suffer? Like Jesus Christ did. The humility Many are come. I'm going to pray. If you need to come, feel free. Lord, I do thank you for the night. I pray this was a blessing. I pray this was exactly what you needed me to say. I pray, Father, you were praised and glorified. You're a wonderful God and you want the best for us. I pray we wouldn't hinder it and get in your way. Lord, once again, we pray you would bless our night, bless the invitation even now in Jesus' name. Amen.